You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Good morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru, and today we are answering your questions. But before we get into that, I wanted to tell you guys that I had our very first donation from Miguel, Bermudez, and Vinny. So thankful that they donated to support the show. I was elated to get their message, and I'm definitely grateful for their support. Contrary to popular belief, I'm not making thousands of dollars here. I'm actually making zero money. I'm just working to help families and uh, people with dogs. So if you or someone you know loves the show and would like to donate, there are links to do that within the show notes. It's PayPal dot me forward slash your dog guru so if you want to donate you can do it that way and or there is a link in the show notes also we do have a store and i'm reaching out to all of our listeners now because i want to know what you guys want to see on our merchandise i'm in the process of drawing some stuff up myself so anything that you see in the store will actually be designed by me for you guys. So if there's a favorite phrase or um, if you like the logo and there's a favorite phrase you'd like to see with the logo, let me know. Or if there's something completely different or something adorable, let me know and maybe I can draw it up and and or find some, find some inventive and creative way to take your ideas and make them into a reality that you guys can own right in your own home. One more announcement I want to make right before I get into all of your questions. I was on Trivia Geeks Live, so you can find a link to that episode in the show notes. Definitely subscribe to their show, it's hilarious. And I don't mean just my episode, it's it's really funny stuff. The staff is super cool. You'll meet my boss and a lovely bunch of cohorts. And they get into all sorts of shenanigans. I will tell you though, it is an explicit show so it's rated r you definitely don't want kids within earshot of it but it's a fun show it's a comedy show you'll enjoy it give it a listen trivia geeks live and ask your dog guru was in one of the recent episodes so i'm going to put a link to that in our show notes today so a quick shout out to trivia geeks live imran and carrie and thank you for having me it was a lot of fun Last thing I want to note is that we do know that Spotify is, you know, delayed in getting our newest episodes. We have reached out. I have uh, attempted to address the problem. So just hang in there with us. In the meantime, you can always find us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com, Google Play, and you can find us at um, Apple Podcasts, which was formerly iTunes Music. So you can keep up with us there. We're on a slew of other podcast apps, so you can find us there as well. But Spotify will get the memo and, and hopefully catch up and we can all be on the same page together soon. Okay, so let's get into it. I definitely want to start off by saying I've already addressed this question off air. So this is really just because it kind of triggered, triggered another in my mind. Miguel had written in about Vinny and asked, hey, what do you think about bringing some dogs that are secure in the car along for the ride with Vinny? and start you know getting him comfortable with the car because he has car anxiety and that's something that you know has not resolved itself over time and i've already 
emailed him back um, so he has an answer in advance to this off air. But in the meantime, I definitely wanted to go ahead and uh, talk about that a little bit. So my answer was no, um, to start off really clearly and early on. Uh, it was it was no, and the reason is kind of simple to me, but not necessarily transparent to everyone else. So it's not that dogs can't teach each other good things. The problem is, is that when they teach each other good things, you still haven't. So when you take the dog back out of the mix, you actually haven't resolved the initial issue. The, the root of the problem hasn't been addressed. And so while you aren't dancing around the problem per se, you are seeing an improvement, an emotional jump. It's still kind of like they need their security blanket. You know, you see this a lot in um, situations where dogs have been raised in the same house. They become so codependent on one another that you really, <laughs> you really can't pull one from the other, you know, that one will have a panic attack if the other one is pulled away. And so they do everything together. They eat together, they sleep together, they spend all their time together. And even if they're not especially bonded, when one or the other is taken outside and one is stuck inside, there's like, obviously, uh, that distance is noticed by the two of them. And sometimes it can result in actual anxiety-based behaviors. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is that like I said, you know, you're not addressing the initial problem of the dog is feeling insecure and ultimately you still have to ad address that problem with the dog directly. Either you have to teach them how to emotionally stand on their own or you have to be involved and engaged and redirect until they get to a point where that's even possible. Uh, there are some dogs that cannot redirect and they can't you know, derail their thinking. So you have to do that for them. You have to be an active player in the game for them to get traction and start doing things right and doing things in a more effective manner. That isn't to say that I've never used a dog to aid me in the process of teaching another dog. I've done that hundreds of times, hundreds of times, probably most times, um, or at least half. I would certainly say half of the time that I'm training a dog. Once we have a language together, and I, even if a dog isn't a trigger, I can certainly utilize a dog uh, as a distraction, as a motivator, as a companion. So there are many reasons why I would involve a dog. Often I would bring my dog because their dog had an aggressive tendency or was very reactive. And once we got to a point where we had that language and the dog was getting traction and was doing better and was responding to the owner and I, then I knew it was time where we could start kind of gauging the pressure and involving another dog in a safe and secure way. I never let dogs just like run up to each other. I've seen dog classes where they let dogs just like willy nilly run up to one another or worse, they don't key into the signals because you know, not everybody knows what body language to look for. And so they don't know a problem until it's right on top of them. When I had group classes, I didn't do it that way. Well, we would always do the class first and at the very end, we would do structured playtime and meet and greets. And we would already have established a whole, you know, 40 minute class where there was good interaction and good protocol and the dogs saw each other under control. So there wasn't, you know, an abrasive reaction that you would see in an initial meeting in the first, you know, 30 seconds. Anyway, I say all of that because I, I try not to put 
security blankets on situations. I try and address the problem at the root because otherwise, sooner or later, if another dog passes or if they're absent or if you just don't, you haven't developed the coping skills um, and the dog hasn't learned any coping, coping skills or found an effective way to evaluate and process the situation in a successful way, then, you know, you're going to be circling the drain and, and things really can run off in a ditch. So I try and address the problem with the individual dog. I get traction there. I often, especially when you have a dog that's aggressive towards other dogs, you definitely don't start with other dogs. I mean, that's a long road before you're even ready to involve other dogs. So keep that in mind. Everything is in small steps, baby steps. And that even has to be tailored to your dog as an individual. You know, some dogs have a quick learning time, a quick turnaround time, and they're ready to do the next thing. Other dogs need plenty of time to marinate and relax and think and process. So every dog is different and every dog's uh, energy level is gonna be a little different, which will also play a role in um, things like fear and dominance and how easily they give up a behavior. So be patient, stick in it with them. You know, nothing, Rome wasn't built in a day. Everything is going to take time, especially when it comes to dogs. Because when you think about it, it took weeks, months, sometimes years for these behaviors to surface and really become what they, what they are. You may have missed some of those signs, but for your dog, your dog has been living it in real time the entire time. And in some cases, you know, if you've inherited a dog or, you know, you've rescued a dog, then you more than anyone are walking into, you know, a clouded history, blinders on, you have no idea what you're walking into. So you have to take things in small, digestible amounts. You don't want to overwhelm your dog because you can definitely, not only you can bomb their minds, but you can also overwhelm them to the point you not only turn them off of training, but you've turned them off of in a relationship with you. And I've seen that happen. It's not very common for a dog to completely emotionally shut down like that without physical abuse or mental and emotional abuse, but you know, abuse can come in many forms. You know, a dog can feel the same thing a child would feel from an abuser with a lot less pressure. Dogs are really sensitive and they really are keyed into us. They aren't programmed to be anywhere else, really. So when your dog is tuning you out, there's always a reason. It's either a respect problem or there there is no real underlying relationship that is gluing you guys together in the forefront which certainly won't help you on the back end when you want to do and work complex behaviors, anxiety-based behaviors, even simplistic behaviors in a complex environment. You know, a sick can be a very difficult behavior to get out of a dog, given 10 other dogs being present for it. So context is, has a lot to do with behavior. I reached out to everyone on the Ask Your Dog Guru page. So it's facebook.com forward slash askyourdogguru. Join us there. We also have a group called Dog Guru Hounds, which you can search up on Facebook as well. Join both of those. Uh, we post and we reach out to our listeners on a regular basis there. But um, a, a woman named Lindsay, when we reached out asking for if anybody had last minute questions or issues, Lindsay mentioned, I have a 15 month old Australian Kelpie. She's absolutely obsessed with focusing on our chickens to the point of trembling, rigid body and unbreakable stare. I'm looking for some advice on how to break the focus and help, help her find a calm, relaxed way of being in our yard without feeling the need to point on the to be on point the whole time thank you okay so 
I told her that we would definitely address this, so here we are. Um, hi, Lindsay, I'm glad that you listen. Uh, I've actually trained a Kelpie before, and I know how obsessed they can be. Uh, I, I was working with one, and then I've trained a couple of them now that I think about it. They're, they're not a very popular breed here in the US, um, but yeah, they're, they're a fantastic breed. But driven, they are. Um, they are very, this, is, this comes back to breed characteristic. Okay, so you can do some redirection um, and, and you can soften the behavior, but as far as eliminating it, that's not going to happen. Um, softening it, we can, we can definitely shoot for. So the way I would go about that is, first of all, rather than worrying about um, <clears throat> her giving you the right response that she's pretty much, you know, she's 15 months old, she's, we're, at, we're in ritual territory now. So the first thing I would do is get her on a leash. Make sure you have some uh, cookies handy. Go ahead and ask her at a far distance. I mean, if it has to be a football field, that's fine. Uh, from the chickens and ask her to sit. If she doesn't, you need to be further away. Okay. Um, pick a very easy cue. It doesn't have to be sit. It can be anything that she has an, a good association with. Make sure you have treats though. And I want something that has a heavy scent, be it ham, cheese, something unique and something special because this is about to get a lot more intense for her, depending on where her threshold is. And knowing that she's obsessed with the chickens. Um, you know, this is a prey drive thing. Anyway, okay, so you have the, the, the cookies ready. You start with her in front of you. Um, say she tries going around you, make sure, sure you have her on a six foot leash. When she tries going around you, go ahead and block her. You'll ask her to sit and make sure that you are the only thing that she visually can see, that she can't look around you, that she can't see the fish, or the fish, the chickens from all the way down, uh, however far away you have to be. It could be 20 feet, it could be 50 feet, it could be, uh, like I said earlier, a football field. I don't care how far it is. That's not the important part right now. The important part is getting her attention before she's even stressed, before she's even focused. I mean, this isn't even really stress in its uh, most typical form. This is stress as in she's, it's intensity, really. So, you know, when she starts focusing, you're already too late to the party. So you need to gauge how far away that even is. So, okay, so she can sit at, you know, the football field. So then you close in, okay, try half a football field. Can she do that? Okay, now you're, you're at, you know, 150 feet away. Can she sit there? Good. Okay, so now if she's 50 feet away, that's where I call a workable space. It sounds like quite a, quite a distance, um, but closing that distance is a lot easier once you've got the, the wheels on the road. So first, now you've gotten her sitting. She's in the habit of sitting for you. It's a good time to go ahead and get her eye contact. Start asking her to look up at you. Um, you can take a treat from her nose to your eyes and draw it up to you and encourage her to focus on you. Always focusing on you. And when she does, good girl, and then maybe you go a little closer. Now, if she starts tuning you out, you know you've gone too far. Okay, that's that's where her threshold is. When she starts tuning you out, you're too close. And that's the workable distance that you really need to be at. And the reason I start from so far away and start just start trying 50 feet and then going further and further away is because once her head is in that space, then you're working her away from that and deprogramming. I don't want you to be deprogramming. I want you to be reprogramming. So for that to happen, you have to take an active role, which means you start from <laughs> you start from the bottom, you start all the way away, and you close in until you start feeling that pressure in her rise up, and then you go, oh, that's that's how far away she has to be. So you work that, and you stay at that distance for a week. 
don't go any closer for an entire week. I know that she'll probably, as intelligent as this breed is at that distance, she's gonna get bored within that week. That I have no doubt, but that's not what it's about. It's about when she's bored, getting her attention back to you, not going any closer, okay? Then once you finish that one week period, she's consistently giving you eye contact. She's consistently ask, you know, every time you ask, she's sitting. Now you've got some somewhat of a language. Then you can start working on a touch cue. Now I'll explain why that's important in a minute, but I'm gonna explain the touch cue itself first. So you'll offer an open hand and when she touches her nose to it, you'll say, good girl and you'll give her a treat. Now, the first couple of times that you do this, I always recommend doing this after you've already had treats in your hand because your, treat, your hands are gonna smell like treats. So she's going to try to sniff your hand anyway. And when she does, then you go ahead and reward with the other hand. You'll say, good girl, and treat. Then after she does it a couple times, every time you offer your hand an open hand to her and she touches it with her nose, then you start adding the word touch. So you'll open your hand, touch, good girl, reward with your other hand. And so that is the whole process of, of the touch cue. It's not a very difficult cue, but it's a valuable cue. And I'll tell you why. You start closing in on that distance and her, you know, prey drive starts kicking in. Now you've, you know that you can always back off. You can go further away and she knows the drills. She'll have learned to sit and look. And if you can't get that out of her, um, you go further away and you can redirect her back to you and connect her back to your walk by using the touch cue. So you find your threshold, you find your distance, and then you work the, the three cues together so that you can build um, and solidify, you know, a little bit more um, control. You know, you don't want the dog to feel like you're trying to come down on them like a ton of bricks, but you need to have a handle on the situation. Otherwise it's gonna spin out of control every single time. So you need to have a plan and the plan needs to have, in this case, three steps. So that's what I would recommend for now and then see how that works. So, you know, you start small, you start with something as simple as a sit, something as simple as a, a look. You do that for a week at a 20 to 50 foot distance, depending on where her threshold was. And you work there for a week and then you start, you know, you can start working on the touch cue whenever it's convenient for you. And then you work the three together and work on closing that distance. The key to really dealing with a prey drive is getting them to check out of what they're obsessed about and check into you. Uh, I had one dog that was so obsessed and so highly aggressive that he had to be in a solid heel with a solid look his entire walk, which was sad because, you know, so many dogs, you know, don't get a full walk to begin with. Well, he would get a full walk, but he had to be working the entire walk because if he wasn't, he was completely unpredictable and couldn't be trusted. But if he was in working mode, he was a German Shepherd. When he was in working mode and you had him queued up to do the heel, he was looking and walking, he knew his job and that was his job. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't aggress. Uh, but in other cases, I try not to have a dog so obsessed with me or, you know, so invested in a training exercise that they can't be a dog during a walk. But in this case, you know, you can kind of go back and forth and gauge it when, when, uh, the stimuli is present, obviously you do be doing the behavior. You don't have to be as regimented before, um, it, it comes up or after, you know, once you've got that control and she starts decompressing, you know, you'll be able to use it, you know, indiscriminately or you'll be able to use it in a more uh, discriminate manner. You'll be able to 
whenever you start seeing her get keyed up from a distance from an animal, then you can start doing your interruption behaviors, your redirection behaviors, and, and go about your business. On our Facebook page, we had another response, and this one comes from Amy. And Amy writes, hi, I'm a new dog mom to a four-month-old Diego. He's a little boy Havanese. We are having a... We are having... A particular difficulty with his eating. He has been losing interest in his food after three days or so. I've tried adding things like peas, pumpkin, uh, the works, but the same length of time. He's currently on Merrick Little Plates, beef and sweet potato, but I'm strongly considering switching this to this as he is also having persistent tear standing trouble. In addition to losing interest, he has recently only been willing to take f food from my hand. I draw the line at hand feeding him at dry food, so I'm really hoping to have some sort of guidance on this. The hand feeding started after our outing to his four-month vet visit this past Friday, but he has outright refused all food from this dish since then. So a couple things. Uh, the first thing... I mentioned right away was we will definitely talk about this on the show uh, but I did mention I wanted her to reach out to her vet because often dogs lose interest in food when they're sick and I didn't want to risk that being the case and her waiting for me to respond in the meantime so uh, just a little food for thought on the food uh, so she got that and she said I should have made the timeline a bit more clear Diego started three days Per, the three-day per food style diet about three weeks or so ago and then he then had his four-month-old vet visit uh, this past Friday where he was given his shots and a clean bill of health the food discussion there was that he may be a fussy eater and otherwise he's healthy and uh, that day she started hand feeding okay so now we've got a full picture uh full pictures as full as we can get them are, are very useful when I'm, I'm trying to give out some direction because you know that little piece of information and the timeline was very um informative you know here i am thinking well maybe the dog is withdrawing because it was stressed from the vet well no the timeline was a little off there so amy thank you for the clarity okay so when you're talking about a picky eater i don't cater cater to picky eaters if he's a healthy dog um, the most I will do is add hot water and stir it up. And I don't mean boiling hot water. I just mean like hot water from your tab. Stir it up. Um, that releases more of the flavor and the scent of the food. And then I put it down. Now, I don't know if you have a crate. If you don't have a crate, it's it might be who of you to pick one up. I don't know if you have any potty training issues or not. But if you don't, um, you can, you know, neglect this particular part. But typically what I would do is I would put a dog in a crate feed them in the crate, and I would give them 15 to 20 minutes to finish their food. Whatever they finish in that time is theirs. Now, I know he's a picky eater, but here's the thing. If he's a picky eater, he needs to be trained not to be a picky eater. Because then, you know, if he's sick, you're not going to necessarily know, just like I said. I don't know if he's ill or it's something else. So all of that said, so the, the crate restricts him from getting distracted, because puppies easily get distracted, and he is still a puppy. And then, you know, giving him a limited amount of time, a determined amount of time, will give him an idea that this isn't forever. I can't just pick and choose when I eat all day long. He needs a, a structured amount of time. Dogs, by the way, who pick and choose when they eat, also pick and choose when they listen. That's a fun fact for anyone listening. Uh, if your dog is a grazer and you leave food down all day and you have other behavior problems, that's the first thing you should change. Um, other than that, 
I think this is more of a, eh, I don't feel like it. I wouldn't keep changing foods. Uh, if, if he's on a food that he's been consistent on at any time before, I would keep him on that food. As far as it, you know, a wet food versus dry, that's kind of a preference thing. Um, I, my dog eats um, a dry food. I've fed raw in the past. Um, if you're comfortable with kibble and you found a diet that you're you're comfortable with and is, he's doing well on, you stick with that. You can add hot water to it, let it cool off a little bit um, so that it's just warm, and then give it to the dog. Give him 15 to 20 minutes to, to eat it and then pick it up. After that, he can wait till either lunchtime when you feed or dinner when you feed, and that's it. He only gets, you know, one shot to eat breakfast, and he only gets one shot to eat lunch if you feed lunch, which a lot of small dog owners do, um, and one shot to have dinner. And he'll figure out, well, this isn't optional. This is the only food that's out there. This is all they're gonna give me. And he'll get hungry enough. You just have to appeal to his greed. You know, it sound, it's not like he's going to be hurting all day long. I'm sure he'll get treats and, you know, you'll know, he'll know when he's hungry and that hunger will be his motivator uh, to go ahead and eat the next meal when it's put down and available. And like I said, 15 to 20 minutes, let him finish it. You'll start noticing that he'll break that pattern. He'll be more interested in eating and he'll eat faster. It's not about picking a food that he wants to obsessively eat. A lot of times dogs will like foods that are really bad for them. You know, they have a ton of fillers. Uh, the crude protein is just off the charts. So you have to be careful about things that dogs are really excited about eating. For that matter, they'll eat chocolate too. And uh, that and chicken bones can be horrible for them. So food for thought on, uh, on the hand feeding. And I do hope that you have success. If you do notice that he is also rejecting water or there's a change in behavior or mood, then it's time to call your vet or perhaps get another vet involved because that to me is a behavior problem or a, a change in behavior and that could signal a bigger issue, be it health or emotional. We do have more questions to get to, but in the meantime, I want to introduce everybody to a quick promo that we have from the Jock and the Nerd. So enjoy that and stay tuned for more Ask Your Dog Guru. Hey, are you a jock that likes comics? Are you a nerd that likes comics? Do you feel left out sometimes? Well, then we've got the show for you. I'm Imran. And I'm Anthony. He's the jock. And he's the nerd. And we host the Jock and Nerd podcast at jockandnerd.com. If you're looking for fun, entertaining, laugh out loud geek chat over all the latest Marvel DC shows and news, visit jockandnerd.com. Full spoiler podcast, lots of swearing. Uh, you're such a jock. You're such a nerd. Oh, come on. Shut up, nerd. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. This is Victoria with Ask Your Dog Guru, and I want to get to more of your questions. This one, this question comes from Sarath, and Sarath asks, well, actually says, Dear Dog Guru, quick question. I am having issues. I had a group obedience class that's being hosted locally. It's definitely not the nicest of places, but it's what I could afford. So in an effort to expose my puppy to other puppies, I wanted to get him signed up. So here we are. In the very beginning, he was shy and he started warming up to the class pretty quickly. We're now in week three and he's now obsessively barking every time we walk up to the class. I don't really know how to handle this, but we've been called out for being disruptive a couple of times and asked to step away. When we come back, he's back to barking all the way up into the group. I'm not sure if this is something I should be concerned about. He seems to be excited, but his fur is up and the trainer is now asking us to do private classes, which unfortunately are not only out of my price range, 
but being a private class, I don't feel like he'll get any exposure to other dogs. What are your thoughts on this and what should I do? Okay, my first thought is, I can't give you an accurate opinion on if what you're seeing is something that could be a cause for concern or it's just him being excited. You know, like a lot of dogs, when they approach a dog park, they'll start like barking in the car or barking when they get their leash put on and they, they get really excited because they know what's about to happen and he may really like class. So if you really like class, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. But excitement, when it's not managed and it's not worked into and channeled into something constructive, like asking him to do something like a little game with you while you're prepping into class or while you're walking into class, having him find things on the floor or maybe walking a couple aisles and getting his attention somewhere else instead of going straight back to the class. I'm assuming you're doing this at a, like a pet store, but that's an assumption that I just made. I don't know if that's true. Um, but you know, basically start being a distraction and then approach when you feel like he's more interested in you. A lot like what I was saying earlier. Um, you know, make sure he's cued into you and then start approaching the class. Now, if the trainer is saying that he needs to do private classes, I would ask if they were concerned that it was an attention problem or if they want, if they were concerned that it was an aggression, aggression issue, because if it's an aggression issue, I would actually advocate for maybe do some one-on-ones. You can, you know, not let it get out of control. Maybe the trainer is queuing into something and doesn't want to get it to be a handful situation where it's going to take a lot more work to reverse since it's really early on. Um, just kind of take their temperature on it. Find out how they feel about, you know, all of what you're saying and, and how they feel about your dog in the class. You know, I would ask something like, okay, if we did some um, private classes, would he then be eligible to return to a group class later on? Because my ultimate goal was to get him exposed to other dogs uh, and see how they feel about that. And kind of, you know, to work, to work your dog in a situation that can be emotionally chaotic if they don't have a skill set in place, you have to be ready to, and it could just be that one, one and you are triggering one another and the trainer just doesn't want it to get out of hand and distract from the rest of the class. Or like I said, it could be that she's, she or he is seeing something surface that they just want to head off before it becomes a real problem. Uh, all of that said, I would start doing distraction exercises. And I would also ask, you know, is this something you're seeing when you walk in your neighborhood? Is he barking when he sees another dog that he recognizes in the neighborhood? If the answer is no, it could be uh, anxiety or it could be, I mean, if you're not, I don't know. I'm gonna end by saying that you're going to have to kind of dig a little deeper with your trainer and kind of find out what it is that they feel they are seeing that is at, that is making them, aside from the obvious barking, what do they think the, the dog, what is the reason the dog is barking for? And then go ahead and write back to me because I would love to address this question, but before I can give you a full response as to what to do um, and how to address it, I need to know what the trainer even thinks is going on. Oh, and just really quickly uh, to all of our listeners, if you have a favorite dog product, dog website, dog food, dog 
toy dog leash company, please write into the show and, and submit them to me because I'm in the process of trying to find sponsors for our show. And I would love to reach out to people who you already believe in their products. You already like them uh, and let them know that our listeners support uh, the product that they, they sell in, or just to bring awareness to it. If you yourself are selling a product and you think it's especially cool. Um, I've seen some really nifty ones in the dog and, and pet world recently, be them travel products or, you know, home products or cleaning products. Let me know, send that, send me an email dog guru here for you at gmail.com. That also is where you will send any of your questions for the show like these, uh, like we went through today. And speaking of questions, I'm going to wind down with our very last one of the day. And this one comes from Trisha Marins. And Trisha says, I have a nine month old Chow Chow named Dina. And Dina is the nicest of dogs. <laughs> oh, this is kind of cute. Uh, Dina is the nicest of dogs. Well, except when my mom comes over to visit. I've had my own apartment now for a year and a half. In the very beginning, Dina was fine when my mom came home, but over time, she started getting more and more labored with her presence. More recently, she started to snap at her, and I'm kind of at a loss of what to do. I've never had a dog that ever wanted to snap at my mother, especially since she sees her so often. My mom probably comes around four to six times a week. Okay, so basically daily. Despite how often she comes by, Dina is unmoved. She doesn't care, she wants out, and she wants my mom out. Now when my mom gets up and out of her chair, Dina barks at her and follows her everywhere she goes until she leaves. What can I do about Dina? Okay, so I'm gonna be honest. It sounds like Dina is on a power trip. You know, Chow Chows are kind of known for being uh, of that alpha mindset. They're gen they generally are not the type of dog to be pushovers. So if your mom has kind of a, just a nurturing personality or is soft-spoken or anything like that, I could see a Chow Chow kind of honing in on that really quickly. They're a great breed, but they need a dominant leader. So the, the first thing I would do is damage control. Um, make sure you've got a solid foundation of basic obedience. Without that, you have no language to go on. So start there if that's not already in place. If it is in place, then you can go to step two, which is start telling Dina where she needs to be when your mom comes around. Instead of just letting her patrol the area and decide where, you know, she's going to direct your mom to be and growling at her or barking at her and stalking her around the house, you go, before you even answer the door for your mom, go ahead and put Dina in a downstay somewhere. Now, I understand Dina probably is not fantastic if she's anything like any previous client I've ever had. She's not fantastic at a downstay. So with that in mind, work on that a lot because that's the behavior you're going to be working and you're going to have to force her to do it a lot. And by force, I mean, you're gonna have to bring her back, bring her back, bring her back until she finally goes, oh, fine, because you're gonna have a power struggle. And I want it to be between you and her with your mom around versus your mom trying to address it. You know, when you have, a, technically in this context, even though she has, um, a familiarity with your mom, this still comes back to, you know, master needs to handle the situation because your mom is still a guest. Even if in the beginning, and I don't know if this is true, but even if at the, in the beginning, Dina was living with you and your mom all together and then you went off on your own, now it seems to Dina that your mom is a guest and or intruder, depending on how she's interpreting the 
the behavior. Being that she's not losing it uh, when she first walks through the door, I don't necessarily think she's interpreting her like an intruder, but I do think she's trying to tell her what, give her the what for. So, you know, I would keep a dog that tries to have that kind of control in a downstay. They get up, back they go. They get up, back they go. Um, and I wouldn't be mean about it, you know, I'd give them like, um, like a Kong or a bone, something to chew on or a favorite toy, but that would be the spot. And when your mom gets up and she gets up, you put the dog back and you remind her. And so you're going to be going back and forth quite a bit in the very beginning until, you know, she starts understanding, oh, you're really not going to give up. And then she's going to soften. But she needs to have an understanding that it isn't her place to police the place. Especially when you let somebody in. It could be a different thing if you wanted her to be defensive of the place when you aren't there or when you are there and you're alone. But this is not that situation. And she is not reading it properly. She is doing what she should naturally. She's being defensive of the home. But you just need to take an active role in what she does. And you can also do things where, um, you know, we've talked in previous episodes about exposure exercises, um, you know, having your mom toss treats in her direction, but not making eye contact, just saying her name and tossing treats all the way across the room for her to go get. Positive associations like that uh, can be good, but I wouldn't even go there yet. I think that she needs to learn a boundary first, because I, I don't know, necessarily think she's got a, a negative association with your mom. So that's my, those are my thoughts on that. Uh, if you like the show, please donate. You can do so at paypal.me forward slash your dog guru. And uh, if you haven't already, do check out the Trivia Geeks episode. It's funny. It is rated R. It's got an explicit rating. So be sure that you don't have little ears around when you're listening to it. Uh, but we had lots of fun recording that. And then one more time, don't forget, uh, I need your ideas on what you want to see on mugs, laptop cases, shirts, what do you guys want to take home? I'll make sure that happens. So give me some ideas and I will try and make them a reality. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.